It will be a wonderful day. If you will, take your Bible and turn with me to the Gospel of Luke, Luke chapter 2. And you may want to also just kind of uh, put a bookmark around Hebrews 2, Hebrews 4. We'll be looking there too a little bit this morning. It is so good to be with you today. And it is going to be a glorious day when we get to be with our Lord. But you know what else though? Until that day comes, every Sunday is a glorious day to gather with the saints that we may sing and praise and hear the preaching and the proclamation of God's Word. Sundays are glorious days. It is such a blessing to to be able to come. And so we come today, and, and I've looked forward to this because there has been a question that has popped up during our men's Bible study over the last few months and things as we have been walking through the Gospel of John. And, and I, I think I'm going to be able to answer confidently this answer that we have pondered on, and there's not very much Scripture on this, but, but I do think we can answer confidently on this today. And that is, is what was Jesus doing in the years in between His birth and His ministry? We know that right around the age of 30, Jesus began his ministry. We know we've got the first 40 days here in Luke, and we get a little bit later in Matthew with the Magi and Herod and them going to Egypt and coming back. But, but there is this time span between then and when he comes on the scene. And we call this the silent years. And so we're hoping to answer the question, or I'm hoping to answer that question for you this morning, because the last time that we saw Jesus uh, two weeks ago, that we were together in Luke. We, we saw him, he was 40 days old. They had came into the temple, Joseph, Mary, and, and Jesus, baby Jesus, and they fulfilled the requirements of the Jewish law. They had some significant interactions with this guy named Simeon and, and Anna. But we are told that they returned home to Nazareth. Now, we not, Luke gives us nothing of the Magi. Luke gives us nothing of King Herod because... That is not Luke's point. Matthew has a different point. Matthew's theme is is this issue of his kingship. And so Luke is giving us kind of this historical background, this this historical account of Jesus and his humanity and and why he came here, which was to save those who were sick, those who were were lost and dying. And so we, we come here in Luke and he summarizes the next 12 years in one verse. And then we, he gives us a few verses of a very significant portion of Scripture or a, a significant event in Jesus' life as a 12-year-old boy. And then there in verses 50 to 52, he then summarizes the next 18 years until Jesus begins his ministry. Now, I know that that does not satisfy the, the curiosity that we have of what was going on. It seems that anyone who is famous and anyone who does something great, we want to know kind of the background. We want to know the behind the scenes. What, what were they doing? What led them to do this? What led them to act this way? What was their life like when they were a child, when they were a teenager, when they were a young person? Dear friends, we won't ask questions like, did Jesus do miracles? We won't ask the questions, is did, you know, did Jesus have an understanding of the cosmos? We, we want to know what happened to Joseph. 
And we want to know what the relationship was as little, you know, little Jesus and, and, and his earthly father, Joseph. We, we want to know what life was like to live with him in, in the house. Sadly, we don't get all of that. But the small summary that Luke gives us today is going to give us something far greater than answer to those questions. What Luke is going to summarize for us today is going to give us deep insight into the humanity of Jesus Christ, the human nature of the Son of God. Now remember, Jesus had to be like us. We've we've mentioned this over and over again. He had to be like us. Hebrews chapter 2 verse 17. Therefore he had to be made like his brethren in all things so that he might become a merciful and faithful high priest in things pertaining to God to make propitiation, to make sacrifice for the sins of his people. In the closing verses of the birth narrative, Luke reminds us, Luke lets us know that Jesus was fully man. We get his birth, we get his conception, his birth, we get all of these proclamations about him, we get, we get so much in Luke chapter 2, 1 and 2. But here at the very end of the birth narrative, the, 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 the Christmas narrative, Luke wants you to know, without a shadow of a doubt, that the Son of God took on the flesh of man. The, he is the incarnate Son of God And he illuminates for us the likeness of man. I want you to see that Jesus experienced every stage of humanity. Look with me in verse 39 of Luke chapter chapter 2. Verse 39. It says, When they had performed everything according to the law of the Lord, they returned to Galilee, to their own city of Nazareth. The child continued to grow and become strong Increasing in wisdom and the grace of God was upon him. Now when his parents went to Jerusalem every year at the feast of the Passover, when he had become twelve, they went up there according to the custom of the feast. And as they were returning, after spending the full number of days, the boy Jesus stayed behind in Jerusalem, but his parents were unaware of it. But supposed to be in the caravan and went a day's journey, and they began looking for him among their relatives and acquaintances. When they did not find him, they returned to Jerusalem looking for him. And then after three days, they found him in the temple, sitting in the midst of the teachers, both listening to them and asking questions. And all who heard him were amazed at his understanding and his answers. And when they saw him, they were astonished. And his mother said to him, you can just imagine this, can't you? Son, why have you treated us this way? Behold, your father and I have been anxiously looking for you. And I love Jesus' response because he is reminding them of that not only is he their boy, not only is he human, he is reminding him of his other nature, that he is the Son of God. And he said to them, why is it that you were looking for me? Did you not know that I had to be in my father's house? But they did not understand the statement which, had, which he had made to them. And he went down with them and he came to Nazareth and he continued in subjection to them and His mother treasured all these things in her heart, and Jesus kept increasing in wisdom and in stature and in favor with God and man. I have titled today's sermon, Uncovering the Silent Years of Jesus Christ. Though Luke does not answer everything, as I said, he does inform us of three important areas of of his humanity here. 
I, I want you to see the physical development of Jesus. Then I want you to see his increasing wisdom. And then finally, we will look at his continual obedience. His continuation in obedience. So, so again, his physical development, his increasing wisdom, and his continual obedience. Now, before we dive into these three things, I must preface all of this with something. Because what happens is, is that when we begin to deal with the humanity and, and the divinity of Christ, is that we, t- we don't mean to do this, but what happens is, is we, we accidentally begin to pit them together. We, we begin to, 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 to try to cancel one out because of the other one. And so as we are focusing this morning on the human nature of Christ, I need you to understand that nowhere in the Scriptures, nowhere do the Scriptures suggest that Jesus' divine nature cancels out His human experience or His experiences. Nor do they state that His human experiences cancel out His divine nature. There are times where you will see one and times where you will see the other. For example, the Son of God took on human nature and, and He was hungry and He was thirsty and He was sleepy. That is His humanity. There are other times, though, where we see that He raised the dead and walked on water and healed the sick. This is where He operates in His deity, not His humanity. This is a theological mystery that you and I cannot solve and we cannot comprehend, but it is true and it would be wrong of you and I to pit them together. So, so you must know that as we examine the humanity of Christ, we are not canceling out His divinity. We are examining that the Son of God has become like us in our weaknesses that He may save us. So, so notice first Jesus' physical development. Notice there in verse 39. It says that when they performed everything according to the law, they returned to Galilee to their own city. And it says the child continued to grow and become strong, increasing in wisdom, and the grace of God was upon him. Now notice verse 52. I'm going to go ahead and do these two together. Verse 52 it says that Jesus kept increasing in wisdom and stature and in favor with God and men. It's amazing. Luke is very much letting us know what this is about. He, he, puts the, he puts this at the, at the two ends here. The physical development of Christ. The, the fact that he is a, a human child who is growing into a human adult. And so here we have in, in these verses where there in verse 40, which covers 12 years of his life. And then verse 52 will cover the next 18 years of his life. And what do you notice about this? Right here we get our answer to one of the questions is, did Jesus perform miracles? Did, did Jesus do something that, you know, you know, was Joseph like, did Mary look at Joseph and say, Joseph, we're, we're, out, of, we're out of milk. I only, got a, I only got a little bit of milk. Can you, can you go get us some milk? And Jesus is like, I, I got that. And he, he, and he expands the milk, right? He multiplies the milk. We want to know, did he do that? We want to know, did Joseph become sick and Jesus heal him and, or Mary get hurt? We, we, we want to ask these questions. But notice that there is nothing supernatural at all mentioned in his human development. Now, there, there is a little bit here that we'll see, but nothing along the lines of miracles and things like that. But there's no mention of miracles and supernatural acts. By all accounts, Jesus did not perform one single miracle until the age of 33 at the beginning of his ministry there at the wedding feast in Cana, where he turned the water into wine. And by the way, I'm going to chase one quick rabbit here. 
I find that story even more amazing after studying this. Because Mary says, why would you do this to us? And Jesus goes, I'm in my father's house. You should have known that. And she does not understand. But fast forward 18 years later, and she looks to her son and she says, son, it's time. Mary, all of Mary is watching her son grow. She's watching her son develop just like you mothers, just like you fathers watch your children come into this world and they begin to develop. Jesus is no different. I know it's cool to think about the miracles of Jesus before, you know, he's 33 and all that, but Luke focuses on the physical development He grew the same way and matured and developed in the same way that we do. The incarnate Son of God set aside His divine attributes and submitted Himself to the same stages of human life that we go through. Why is that important? Well, I told you that you need to go over to the book of Hebrews. Hebrews chapter 2. Look at verse 17. Hebrews chapter 2 verse 17. The writer tells us, he says, therefore he had to be made like his brethren in all things so that he might become a merciful and faithful high priest in pertaining to God to make propitiation for the sins of the people. For once he himself was tempted in that which he suffered, he is able to come to the aid of those who are tempted. Now notice chapter 4, verse 14 and 15. Don't miss this. In verse 14, the writer of Hebrews gives us this. He says, Therefore, since we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God, um, let us hold fast our confession, for we do not have a high priest who cannot sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who has been tempted in all things as we are yet without sin. Therefore, let us draw near with confidence to the throne of grace, so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in the time of need. Dear friends, Jesus sympathized with us in every stage of life. And that's important. It's important for us spiritually. It's important for us in our temptations, that that we can overcome temptations. It's important for us when we fail. It's important for us to, for our salvation, that we have one who has walked through every stage of human life and that because he walked through every stage of human life we can draw closer to him we can find a friend in him we can find strength and grace and mercy in him you don't you don't draw close to the one who has failed amen is that what you do when you go to work at a job you draw close to the one who is not very good at at working no you draw close to the one who what who is good at their job, so that you may learn from them. When you go through pain and suffering, do you, do you draw close to those who cannot sympathize with you, who have, who have never experienced your pain? Or do you draw close to the one who can sympathize with you, who's been there, and who has persevered and overcome? Jesus Christ sympathizes us within our human experience. For example, dear friends, He experienced life in the womb Can you imagine that? Omnipresent. God who is everywhere. Itty bitty living space. 
He, he knows what it's like to be the little child who is developing when the heart begins to beat and the blood begins to flow and to be vulnerable. He knows what it's like as a child. This is amazing to know that as a 10-year-old boy, the Son of God knows what it's like to be a 10-year-old, to be a 12-year-old. Teenager, an adolescent, a young person who has to subject to parents and their authority, who has had been, who is told to go and clean their room. The Son of God, who sits on the throne, knows what it's like. Or how about you adults? He knows what it's like to, be, to have to be responsible and to get up and go to work, to be able to provide for his family. He knows the temptations that you face and the struggles you go through. Dear friends, you must not overlook the overwhelming power of a sympathizing Savior. It is because He sympathizes with us in every stage of life that the Bible tells you that you can now draw near. And you don't have to draw near with fear. You don't have to draw near in weakness. You don't have to draw, 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 draw near in, in intimidation. Draw near with confidence to the throne of grace so that you may receive mercy and find grace to help in the time of need. Dear friends, you must be encouraged. There is mercy and grace to be found in a Savior who sympathizes with our experiences. J.C. Ryle said it this way, One comfortable, practical lesson stands out on the face of this truth, which ought to never be overlooked. Our Lord is able to sympathize with man in every stage of existence from the cradle to the grave. He knows by experience the nature and the temperament of the child, the boy and the young man. For he has stood in their place. He has occupied their position. He knows their hearts. So let us not forget. Let us never forget there is one in heaven at the right hand of God who is exactly suited to be your friend. Do you want to know who a friend of the child in the womb is? Jesus Christ. I've noticed a bunch of preachers here lately, these, these heretical preachers who are really upset over the Roe versus Wade. Do you want to know who the child in the womb at just at the moment of conception, who can sympathize with them in the womb? It is Christ. For he knows what it is like to be the size of a, of a small little being. And how dare we not view the child in the womb as a human being? For Jesus teaches us that what full humanity is because he enters humanity at the time of conception, at the time of in the womb. Dear friends, one uh, uh, argument for abortion is, is that, that the baby's life you know, may suffer. And if the baby is going to suffer, then we need to terminate the baby. That would be the best thing for that child. We don't want to bring a child into suffering. Praise God, God didn't think that way about Jesus. Who suffered at every stage of human life. So that you can be, find freedom from your suffering one day. 
Dear friends, Jesus comes in in the moment of conception. He is viewed as a human being. We have a friend who can sympathize with our children. Isn't it amazing that the amount of people, the amount of children who go to, who go to worldly, ungodly, unbelieving experts of our day? They go to the Dr. Fields because he has a degree. Or maybe, or maybe there's someone who has experienced the, the you know, abuse. Maybe there's someone who's experienced trauma. And we don't care if they're believers. They've experienced these things. So, so therefore, we're going to direct our children to people who have experienced stuff. And, and we're going to look to them to tell us what we need to do with our children. Dear parents, hear me. The God of heaven has experienced what it's like to be a child. We can turn our children to Him. Amen? What about the teenager? Or what about the adult? Jesus Christ has experienced what it's like to be a young person and to experience what it's like to be an adult where he has to be responsible and he has to get up. He, he experiences what it's like to be too busy. He's got work to do. He's got, he's got a family to take care of because Joseph is no longer there. So he has a mother and brothers and sisters and, and he, the firstborn, must take care of them. He knows what it's like to wake up on, well, in his day, the Sabbath on Saturday and go, I, I just don't have time to go and worship God. I need to stay home because I got work to do. He knows what it's like to have a busy schedule. And the struggle that comes with, with worshiping God in spite of what it means to be an adult. Jesus has lived every stage of your life. And he suffered in ways that you cannot comprehend. That he may be a friend by which you can draw upon in times of need. Oh dear friends, draw to him. Parents, turn your children to Him. Adults, turn your eyes toward Him and come to Him in confidence and share your struggles and all of the things that you have and learn from Him of what it means to be a model believer. Learn from His model of faith and and, and living for the Lord in every stage. But secondly, I want you to notice the wisdom of God. Notice his growth in, in wisdom. Again, notice verse 40. It says the child continued to grow and to become strong, increasing in wisdom, and the grace of God was upon him. And then, and then skip on down. We're going to do the time's sake. I want you to notice verse 46. It says, Then after three days they found him in the temple, sitting in the midst of the teachers, both listening to him and asking them questions. And all who heard him were amazed at his understanding and his answers. I love this. Even his parents were amazed. So this is amazing. So notice that the Bible tells us that Jesus Christ increases in wisdom. That, that is, that's perfect. He's, he's constantly, it's continual. He's constantly increasing in wisdom. So, so this means that Jesus gained knowledge that he did not have. Now I immediately know where you're wanting to go with this. So just, just hold with me for a moment. Like a child gaining the knowledge to walk, to read, to count, and to so forth. I know it sounds odd and it presents us with a very immediate challenge. How can Jesus, who the Bible refers to as the wisdom of God, need to gain 
wisdom. How is God, Jesus, who is omniscient and knows all things and who can read the heart of the Pharisees, having total knowledge, be without knowledge? How can Jesus, who is totally perfect, be needing to increase? Perfection means you don't need to get better or worse. You can't go anywhere else. You're, you're there. You're perfect. How does he need to increase in wisdom? Again, Hebrews chapter 2, verse 17, he had to become like us in all things. You see, Christ took on all human weaknesses except for sin. And one of the weaknesses that sin created on the human race was ignorance. A lack of knowledge. And though Jesus had never committed sin, not born in sin, never committed sin, he bore the weaknesses of man that sin generated on the human race that, we, that he may overcome for us. John Calvin put it this way. He says, there is only this difference between us and him. That the weakness which presses upon us by necessity, which we cannot avoid were undertaken by him voluntarily and of his own accord. You see, in other words, Jesus voluntarily submitted himself to human weakness. He became hungry. He became thirsty. Jesus became exhausted after a long day of labor. Jesus suffered physically and experienced the greatest weakness of mankind ever, which is death. God who is eternal humanity who is not he takes on all of these weaknesses and he also took upon himself for a time the weakness of ignorance the weakness of not having the knowledge and having to gain the knowledge and so notice that luke says the grace of god was upon him now i'm glad that luke put this in here because what he's saying there is is that this is a that he is a child prodigy he is a genius this 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 is not the grace that comes to sinners because the sinner you know, this is you know he's not a sinner so so what does he mean by this this is the favor and the power of god upon men who enables them to do miraculous and wonderful things so jesus who has no sin And we are told in Romans 1 that sin suppresses the truth within us. The truth of God is not suppressed in Jesus. He's picking it up. The grace of God is upon him. And so we see here that he is excelling in gaining understanding. Jesus at 12 years old stands in the temple and he understands everything that is being said. And he's asking these questions and everyone is amazed and everyone is astonished. And there he says that he is about his in his father's house. In other words, he is making a wonderful statement. By the way, these are the first words ever spoken of Jesus, that we have written from Jesus. The first words. You know what he's saying? I am the son of God. And at 12 years old, he understands, I am the son of God. And so, he's, so we see here that the 12-year-old Jesus had to learn and obtain wisdom of the scriptures that astonished even the most learned priest. And he had a full understanding. So when we ask the question of what was Jesus doing as a child or as a teenager, Luke answers the question. Jesus was learning and increasing in wisdom. He was gaining the understanding of the scriptures and applying those scriptures to his life. Dear friend, can I ask you a question? 
and you're going to have to be real with yourself today and be real with me. You ain't going to raise your hand, but let me ask you a question. How many of you in here today would say that you just feel like you're behind when it comes to knowing the Bible? I, you don't have to raise, but look, I'll, I'll do it. Some of you. How many of you today would say, I wish I'd have started earlier? Amen? How many of you today just feel, and again, you don't have to raise your hand, but how many today just feel like you're never going to get it? Do you know that you have an advocate who started in the same place you did? Who, who learned the scriptures, who understood the scripture. He, he took on your weakness that sin created in you, not, not in him. He didn't have to do this, but sin created in you, and he takes on your weakness, and he sympathizes with you that he may overcome it so that he may be your advocate. Dear friend, for those of you today who feel there is no hope that you will ever truly gain deep understanding of the scriptures, that you can never, that you're just never going to be able to understand anything, I am here today to tell you there is hope for you today. And his name is Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ is our advocate. Jesus Christ overcame that which sin took away from us. That we may know God through His Word and may know Him on a deeper level. He is our advocate that helps us learn truth. We have a friend that I can draw to who gives grace and mercy when it comes to reading the Scriptures and understanding the Scriptures of knowing what they're pointing to and, what, and how it applies to me. There is an advocate that I have who has overcome all of that that I'm struggling with. And his name is Jesus Christ, the God-man. The hope for you this morning is, is you don't need to give up. You don't give up studying. You don't, you don't get up, give up reading the Scriptures. You say, but I'm 60. I'm 70. I'm 80. I'm, I'm 90. I'm 100. I, what else? I, I've been trying and I can't do it. You, you may say, I'm 10. Dear friends, you pick up your Bible And you lift up your prayers to the one who is a mediator for God and man that you may know God, that you may learn of God. But I must inform you of this. We have an advocate. We have an inspired word. We have the Spirit of God who lives in us. But I must inform you of this. If Jesus Christ did the work, don't you think you need to? If Jesus Christ did the work, if Jesus Christ saw the priority of learning the scriptures at, when he was 10, 11, and 12, man, don't you think we should tell our children, kids, this is important for you. You need to learn this scripture because one day you're going to be like me and you're going to wish that you would have done it. If Jesus labored If he labored to study and he labored to know and gain wisdom of God, shouldn't we? (coughs) Here's one for you. If Jesus sat under priests, 
because I know what you're thinking. He didn't have to send her a priest. You're right, he didn't have to. And there's a lot of people out here in this world today who say the same thing. Bunch of hypocrites at church, they can't teach me anything. And yet we find here the God of the universe in humility sitting under a priest learning, listening and learning and asking questions. Dear friends, who do we think that we are that we are greater than God? I, don't got, I ain't got to go to church to learn. I don't have to sit under preaching. Jesus disciplined himself to read, study, go to church, ask questions and so forth and devoted himself, heart, soul, and mind. You know what it means to love God with your heart, soul, and mind? You're looking at it. Dear friends, read and study the Word every day. Come to church. Learn. Humble yourself. Be humble. Learn from from others. Learn. And I love this. He learned from his parents. I, I think Luke makes it very clear that, that, that Joseph and Mary were, were very, very devout uh, uh, people of faith. Because they would have been the ones to pour into their son. And to all the parents and grandparents of your day, to all the children, please hear me on this. Teach your children the word of God. If you don't, If you and I do not begin now with our children when they are young, dear friends, they are going to be older in life, not only regretting, but in desperate need of the wisdom that comes from the Scriptures. Teach them the... And if you say, but Brother Brian, I don't know enough, then teach them the discipline of learning. Model for them the heart and the passion of being in the Word to never giving up and to study the word because in doing that you are teaching them to be just like Jesus Christ. Amen? This is huge for us. This is huge. And the final thing I want you to notice the continuation of dis, uh, continuation of obedience not not disobedience. Notice, notice verse 48. It says, when they saw him, they were astonished. And his mother said to him, son, why have you treated us this way? Behold, your father and I have been anxiously looking for you. And he said to them, why is it that you were looking for me? Did you not know that I had to be in my father's house? But they did not understand the statement which he had made to them. And he went down with them and he came to Nazareth and he continued in subjection to them. And his mother treasured all these things in her heart. And Jesus kept increasing in wisdom and stature and favor with God and men. You see, one would be tempted to think that Jesus had disobeyed his parents. One would be tempted to think, trying to figure this one out, you know. Did, did he disobey? And remember, not, you know, just because our children may have a misunderstanding or whatever, it, it's not sin, it's not disobedience here. But Luke is very quick to inform us that it is not disobedience upon the light upon Jesus. This was literally an accident. You know, the return home, as we were told, was by caravan, women and children in front, so that because men would have probably walked faster and just left them behind. So men are in the back, women up front. And, and so Mary and Joseph did exactly what you and I all have done. Mary's going, I bet, I bet Joseph got him. And Joseph is going, well, I know Mary got him. 
And then they found themselves like all of us when you realize ain't nobody got him. Right? And you know Joseph got in trouble for that. But anyway, so, so, so I'm just throwing that out there. So, so, so Mary and Joseph are, are assuming upon that Jesus is with one or the other and he's not with them. And, and, <coughs> and so now we're, we're in a panic mode. And so they go and they discover he's, he, he's been left behind and they're going everywhere else. They're going everywhere else. And finally come to the temple. Because, you know, obviously a 12-year-old boy would certainly want to be everywhere but the church, right? But he's there in the synagogue, and Mary comes to him, and she, she's in turmoil. And she asks him the question, she said, why would you do this? And he goes, Mother, did you not know that I would be about my father's, in my father's house? This is huge, because 12-year-old Jesus is doing something here. He's reminding us, yes, I develop like a little boy. I've learned like a little boy. I have emotions like a little boy. I bleed like a little boy. But mama, don't forget who I really am. And he will do this over and over again. Jesus! Your mother and your siblings are here. Your family has come. And he'll say, my family is the one who obeys the will of God. You see, he's distancing himself. He's reminding them who he is. There's one woman who goes, how blessed is the mother on whom's breast you have nursed. That is a blessed woman. And Jesus says, nah. Blessed are those who obey the will of God. We're all blessed who are in Christ, who are in God. He's distancing them. He's, rem- he's reminding them that there's two natures here. There's a human nature, and then there is the, the divine nature. And he's reminding them of who his Father is, the God of heaven. But you must not miss what Luke says. Even though at 12 years old that Jesus knew who he was, Notice that the Bible tells us that he continued in subjection to them. Jesus, who is their creator, their Lord, their master, never, ever, ever disobeyed them. He submitted to them. And here's the beauty of this. Guess what? Jesus was only one year away from adulthood. At 13, you were adult. You passed on over. And for the next 18 years, Luke tells us that he continued in subjection. Jesus went far beyond what many of us will do. I'm out of the house. I can do whatever I want. Jesus upheld the fifth commandment, honor thy father and thy mother. And not only did he uphold God's will and God's commandment, notice that it says that he was in favor with God and man. Jesus obeyed and submitted to them perfectly the law of God and the law of man. He never, ever, ever broke either of them. So what was he doing in the early years? He was obeying both God and man. Jesus was being a good boy to his mama and his daddy. He was being a good citizen. Jesus was being good. 
And so maybe that disappoints some of you because you look at this and you're like, man, I was looking for something, boom, supernatural. Maybe you were hoping for something more, miracles perhaps, but friends, this is so much better. You say, why? Because when he's 33 years old, after 33 years of obedience to the law of God and man, Jesus is declared good. He is declared righteous. 2 Corinthians 5.21 For our sake, he made him to be sin who knew no sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. Or Romans 3.22, the righteousness of God is through faith in Jesus Christ to all who believe, since there is no distinction. You see, this is so much better than baby Jesus doing miracles. Because this means that, think about this for just one moment, this means that there is not one stage in the life of Jesus' physical development that he ever sinned. He never committed a sin. He was not born into sin, and he never committed a sin. In the womb, as a child, as an adult, there is not one moment, not one time that he sinned. And yet there is not a stage in your life where you have not committed thousands and millions of them. And even if you say, well, in the womb, but you were born into sin. You were born a sinner. And when you came out of the womb, you have been a sinner and you have acted in accordance with your nature In every stage of life, there is not one of us here this morning who has ever been able to be in favor with God and man. For we are sinful people deserving the wrath and the judgment of God. There is no hope for you. There is no hope for me if if my salvation is going to rest on the fact that I have to be good. Even if I said today, from this day forward, I will be good. And my mom and daddy will tell you, yeah, but what about those days? Because you weren't good those days. But this is the doctrine of substitution. That on the cross, God treated Jesus as if he lived your life, a life of disobedience, a life of unrighteousness, a life of thousands upon thousands upon tens of thousands and hundreds of thousands, a life of millions and billions of sins committed in all of your life at every stage. God treated Jesus as though he lived your life so that he may treat you as though you lived Jesus' life. Jesus receives the punishment for you breaking the law and you receive the salvation for Jesus keeping it. This is what he was doing, dear friends. For 33 years, Jesus Christ was living a righteous life. For 33 years, Jesus was obtaining that which you could not obtain by living in favor with God And in favor with man. Are you unrighteous? Have you failed to uphold the law of God? And this morning you realize that if that is the case, you are in danger of the wrath of God, the eternal hell of God. You say, I may be, I've lived a better life, but in my younger days I was wild and sinful. 
and there's nothing I can do about those days, or maybe you're living in present sin, or maybe you're just being honest and you know yourself that you can't be good, I have good news for you. Jesus earned your forgiveness. He earned your righteousness. And he calls you today to come. Come and repent of your sin. Come to him today. That just as he voluntarily took upon your weaknesses, dear friends, he has voluntarily gives us his grace and his mercy to those who repent of their sins. I know that, man, tomorrow, 4th of July, and we're going to celebrate the freedom of our nation. And, and in that time, we're going to be reminded of the battles fought and the battles won and the sacrifices made. But dear friend, you must know that you have obtained a greater freedom because in the silent years of Jesus, he was overcoming every battle that you have lost, every battle that you have failed. He is overcoming every weakness that you have so that you may gain the greatest freedom the world has ever known. Spiritual freedom, the freedom of sin and death, and the freedom to know God as your Father. Dear friend, come to this Savior who has bought your freedom. Let's pray.